Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen, the Daily Mirror's royal podcast. Uh, we've got a slightly different episode this week because uh, Victoria Murphy, Daily Mirror royal correspondent, who lots of you will have become very friendly with from our previous uh, episodes and from her Twitter feed as she follows the royals around the world, is just is doing just that this week. She's away in Sweden at the moment and uh, Norway later in the week. Um, and... We'll be hearing from her later in the show about how that royal visit that William and Kate are conducting is going on. We'll also be rounding up the royal wedding headlines as ever. But firstly, I'm joined by a new guest. So welcome Jason Beattie, Daily Mirror Head of Politics to Pod Save the Queen. Hello, Anne. Uh, Jason presents our politics podcast. So if you're big on UK politics, then check that one out. That run records on a Wednesday usually, eyes to the left. But I've invited Jason on today because the royal visit that William and Kate are doing this time is quite different from their visits to Canada, Australia, where we have traditional links and where the Queen has a very important role to play in their life. Norway and Sweden are not places where she has any kind of... uh, place in life apart from maybe as a distant relative of the royal families there and William and Kate are taking up this visit at the request of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. So what does that mean? Well what we've seen in the last year or so is the Kate and William particularly going to European countries and coincidentally, this is happening post-Brexit. So they went to France in March last year, and then in the less, latter part of the year, they did Germany and Poland. And as you say, they're now going to Scandinavian countries. And you could argue, obviously, the royals are meant to be above politics, but this is a post-Brexit charm offensive. And is that what it is? I mean... Royals will go visiting countries anyway, won't they? Or is it very much political, this one? Um, It's very difficult to to, to judge because, as I say, the the, the palace are very sensitive to accusations that uh, they are favouring any one political party or one political cause. And if you remember, at the height of the referendum, there was a huge row when a rival newspaper said the Queen backs Brexit. And for very rarely, the palace took them to the press regulator 
um, to complain about this because the idea of Her Majesty interfering in in, in politics it, it was was one highly embarrassing. Two, that's not what they're meant to do. But and this is the big but, there is this aspect of the royals, particularly on visits, that they are our greatest ambassadors. That they are very much connected with brand Britain. They um, attract a lot of tourism. And they are very good emissaries for trade. So it's not surprising that while we are looking for favourable trade deals as we prepare to leave the EU, that the Foreign Office would want the Royal Family to be kind of leading the charge in a kind of very discreet way. And are other members of the royal family doing these kinds of visits, but getting less press? You know, Charles and Camilla wandering around Europe doing this kind of things, or is it very much the young royals being the charm ambassadors? Well, I mean, but there was this kind of uh, job for, for Prince Andrew, remember, who was our trade ambassador when he went around the country uh, causing embarrassment, <laughs> saying insulting things. You know, he, you know. That def- one didn't go so well. The, the, yeah, the, the, the apple didn't fall, fall far from the tree. If you think about Gaffs and Prince Philip, but uh, and obviously he got into all sorts of um, various scrapes. I think it was an Azerbaijan or one of the uh, the stands where he kind of you know was kind of recorded saying some kind of slightly off colour remarks. Um, and I think he kind of got kind of gently demoted from that job. That's a polite way of putting it. There's no doubt that that, um, that Wills and Kate, if I'm allowed to be bad and formal, uh, definitely. Thank you. Uh, are, are much more the kind of image we'd like to present of, as we use this phrase, or the government uses this phrase of global Britain. As you say, they're younger, they're more telegenic. Well, Kate definitely is, um, and, and they present a kind of you know a more modern Britain. So yes, they are in that sense very useful. And Charles and Camilla, is it that he has his... He is quite political at times anyway, so he, maybe he's a risk, or is it that he will be the future king, so it's more difficult to get him involved, would you say? I think it's actually, I, to be brutally rude about Charles, it, it's more a question of, you know, what image do you want to, to promote? I mean, you know, Charles is a, getting on to be an old man now, He's uh, uh, and while he has his charms, you also he has... A reputation for, for meddling in politics for these famous spider letters he wrote and these were named after his appalling handwriting there were dozens of letters he has written to ministers over the years government ministers and mainly on his kind of pet subjects which was you know the environment uh, but also kind of conservation he, he was obsessed for one instance about a kind of angel fish I can't remember why um, I'm sure they're very nice they are but yeah so you know they've covered a lot of, of areas close to Charles's heart um, and and it did kind of cross that line many felt between kind of you know the neutral royal family and and, and actually kind of meddling in politics um, Wills and Kate so far they, they have been much more in a traditional sense they, they've talked about issues which are kind of non-political like kind of mental health for which I applaud them for doing along with Harry you know um, a little bit of conservation a little bit about talking about you know kind of trying to get kind of children more involved um, homeless charities they visited for example but they, they, they it hasn't been as kind of avert as kind of um, interfering as, as, as uh, Prince Charles 
So there's been various visits that have happened already. What mm. has been the feeling in Westminster, in Parliament, do you think? from Are they seen as successes? Presumably, yes, because they've rolled them out again to go visit some other countries. Well, I, I definitely thought there was, particularly when we did the German and Polish visits last year, there was, it was more about intrigue and whether it produced results because it just seemed so much better they were at the far... Um, at the front foot of promoting Britain as we prepare to leave the EU. And and, and I think our suspicions of that is the case have now been confirmed by, by this coming visit where, as you say, you know, um, our colleague Vic Murphy is, is out kind of, you know, in the colds of Scandinavia oh, <laughs> following around. Snowball fights, hopefully, you would tell <laughs> yeah. us, about, tell us yeah. about later. But, it, I mean, Brexit is, uh, for people, our listeners who aren't um, living in the UK, it is an all-consuming topic really and in in our country at the moment and affects everything and there's no escape even yeah, for the I, royal I family. I always feel sorry but I'm now kind of you know kind of photobombing a podcast royal family to talk about <laughs> Brexit my apologies <laughs> I, I, oh. I didn't mean to do that there is another podcast you can listen to called Eyes to the Left and I talk exclusively oh, about big, Brexit. Big <laughs> oh so and in terms of how it works state and government so I mean the Queen is She's politicised, and we're seeing that at the moment, I guess, with the Donald Trump visit as well. Now, this is really interesting because, uh, as I said, the, the royal family are meant to be above politics, but actually our whole political system is intertwined with the palace, much more than people realise. So, for example, the prime minister always has, on Tuesday evenings, a weekly audience with the Queen. And she's been doing this since Winston Churchill was prime minister. So she knows them very well. And I mean, and these conversations are, are private. They never tell us what they discuss. Uh, but what's intriguing is little, little snippets leak out. So we hear the Queen preferred some uh, prime ministers to others. She found, you know, for example, uh, they are Gordon Brown, I gather, quite difficult company, partly because Gordon Brown cancelled the Royal Yacht and cancelled the Royal Train. That didn't go down very well. So you, you can see, I'm, she got on, I gather, very well with Harold Wilson. Very difficult relationship with Margaret Thatcher. They did not seem eye to eye. In fact, there's been plays about this I went to see a couple of years ago about the whole relationship between the Queen and Margaret Thatcher. So, so And we saw recently official papers came out in which the Queen remonstrated with Margaret Thatcher over what she called my Commonwealth because she thought Margaret Thatcher was undermining it with her support for South Africa. So subsequently, we're hanging 30, 40 years on, we're finding out about this relationship a bit more. So you have that aspect. There's also this thing called the Privy Council. Now, this is a very ancient institution in British life, which started out as a council to the Queen. You know, you were an elite group of advisors to the monarch. I say the Queen, but the monarch, the king or the queen. And it still exists. And it people who belong to the Privy Council are very senior MPs, so you're talking cabinet ministers, ministers, judges, and obviously members of the House of Lords. And they still meet regularly and they advise the Queen. And they these meetings take place where the Queen is. So if she's in Balmoral, her house in Scotland, or in Sandringham, her house in Norfolk, or in Windsor Castle, these politicians will go to visit her. So the palace actually has an awful lot of influence 
in our British in our political life, but it's very quiet and it's unrecorded. And the Queen gets to see all of the legislation and works hard on her red doesn't, boxes. Doesn't and just get to see it. Has to sign it off. She signs it off. It does. No law in Britain becomes statute until it's got her signature. So, um, and as you say, she she gets what they call the red box. So every minister uh, in the government has a red box to keep their official papers in. The Queen gets one too. So every day she knows what's happening in her government. And she's right on top of it, I gather. They, they, um, they all say, anybody who's served in government says, you know, the Queen knows more about the country than anybody else. So when we're complaining about dealing with Brexit, we need to have a little bit of patience. But the Queen having to deal well, with this at 90-something... At 90-something, she still does her homework, which is quite impressive. Because, you know, I'm... Uh, but it, it goes beyond that. Because, um, as I say, she, she, she may be able to influence through her private conversation what goes on. We also have... Um, uh, weird areas like royal charters, for example, the BBC, much loved around the world, that is comes under what they call a royal charter, and it's actually Buckingham Palace which is in charge of that, not the government. Oh, how interesting! Because that's also very thought. What is the feeling about how Theresa May, our current Prime Minister, and the Queen might get on? Have we got an inkling of that at the moment? Ah, uh, now I, I'm, I can only guess on this one, Anne. But what's interesting is um, I do know Theresa May, and I've had lunch for a couple of times in addition to lots of our conversations she's extraordinary hard work um, she doesn't do any small talk um, very studious uh, quite prim the queen might like that uh, but she um, she's not easy and she doesn't mind silence Theresa May so I can imagine these weekly audiences could get sticky at times um, uh, I'll tell you a lovely story which I, I'll give you an idea of what the queen does like. she liked uh, the former Foreign Secretary Robin Cook. He was under Tony Blair's government. He was Foreign Secretary from uh, 1997 because he liked horse racing and she loves horse racing. And there was a, Robin Cook told me the story once. He was sitting on uh, the Royal Flight, the Queen's aeroplane, which Gordon Brown didn't cancel, flying to India. And the Queen was obviously at the front of the plane and he was, even though he was Foreign Secretary, at the back of the plane. And this butler walked down the plane with a silver tray and on this silver tray was a copy of the Racing Post, a newspaper all about horse racing and she said the butler stood by Robin Cook and said Her Majesty thought you might like this sir and gave Brilliant. him a copy of it. So, so you know she does have favourites if you can kind of connect with her on the things she likes which is probably corgis, horse racing you're in there. Does she like cricket? I can't remember whether the Queen likes cricket because been... Theresa May loves the cricket. Yes, I know. I, I don't. She doesn't really do much sport, does she? Oh. She looks very bored when she goes to Wimbledon. <laughs> she, I think she's been to Lords a couple of times. She never looks that excited. But Highland yes. Games, she likes. All about the horses, though. <laughs> yeah. um, and in terms of uh, the Donald Trump visit, which seems to be the the other thing that won't go away, other than Brexit, that is so teasy well, and protest ridden. And a very good example of where that kind of overlap between the royals and politics and where it can become awkward and difficult. Uh, as you know, Theresa May scrambled to be the first world leader to visit the White House after Donald Trump became president. And she wanted to offer him this state visit to appeal to the president's vanity. Uh, and a state visit involves obviously a, a Travelling with the Queen, 
in a carriage through the streets of London, a huge state banquet with lots of guests at Buckingham Palace, or sometimes at Windsor Castle, you get this. So they're very lavish affairs, you get marching bands, you get all the flags out. Uh, and it's almost like a little bit like a royal wedding or that kind of yeah, thing. But, it's almost that yeah, they, scale they when they it happens. Big events. Um, you, as I say, you know, you've got lots of troops lining the streets and uh, uh, all the red-coated soldiers are out. Um, and this visit, which Theresa May wanted to offer, the palace hadn't actually agreed it before she landed in Washington, D.C. Oh, it was only when they got there they finally got the message from the palace, which said, yes, you can do this. Now, so then Theresa May could go and meet Trump and present this wonderful bauble in front of him, and they thought it was a great coup. And then the backlash came. A lot of people going, we don't want Donald Trump to have a state visit. Well, certainly not this quickly. Not this quickly. And as you remember, it got very political very quickly because the Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko, then stood up and said, I'm not inviting him to speak in the Houses of Parliament, an offer which is given to other world leaders like Barack Obama, French President Nicolas Sarkozy, Nelson Mandela, have all had this kind of, even George Bush got in. So it's uh, George W. Um, So that made it awkward. And in the middle of this is, is the palace and their court going, you know, it's their invitation. So the Queen was then put in this kind of slightly embarrassing situation and you can see that could cause resentment with with Theresa May and Downing Street. Oh, politics. Too much politics going on in the world at the moment. There's never enough politics, (laughs) Anne, as you know. Oh, (laughs) a little interlude of politics in the uh, Pod Save the Queen podcast. Thank you for joining us. And now it's probably time to hear from Victoria to hear how the visit is going. Hello, Victoria. Where are you? How are you? What's going on? How's it been? <laughs> hello, hello. Um, well, where am I? So I'm now in Oslo. I flew this evening from Stockholm to Oslo. Um, very unpleasant flight, I have to say. I hope William and Kate's flight is better. Um, it was very bumpy. I was sitting next to a Norwegian lady who told me that it can often be like that because of the snow, affects the air pressure. I'm not a very good flyer, so I was freaking out a little bit, but we are here safely. Um, And yes, I'm in Oslo, where William and Kate are going to be arriving um, tomorrow, so Thursday morning, and spending two full days here. But obviously, as royal journalists, we usually have to travel ahead of them so that we can be here to um, film and report on their arrival. So that's why I've come ahead tonight. But we've just had a lovely two days in Stockholm. Uh, It was their first visit to Sweden, also my first visit to Sweden. Um, Beautiful, beautiful city. Very, very chilly. Um, Obviously, it is very cold and very dark um, in Scandinavia at this time of year. But, you know, I think what has really come across is the fact that the Swedish people um, seem to, obviously, they're very used to this weather and they really embrace it. There's a lot of outdoor activity. There's a lot of um, sport. William and Kate, their first thing that they did was that they went to see a game of bandy hockey, which is very similar to ice hockey. It's not ice hockey, but it's played on ice. The difference is that you play with a ball instead of a puck, which you would have in ice hockey. And they, uh, they were outside on the ice. They had... It was quite funny, actually, because they had a red carpet rolled out for them on the ice. Obviously, Kate is almost six months pregnant. So I don't think there was any question 
as to whether or not she was going to be getting on skates or trying to walk on the ice. I think it's probably unlikely that she would have done that anyway. But being pregnant certainly ruled it out. But she is a very keen hockey player. So they did want to have a go, had a shot at goal. Uh, you may have seen Anne. Can you guess who won at the hockey penalty shootout? Oh, I've I've seen the results. I, I know. I know. But... Devastating. William beat her 2-1. But they're so competitive, the two of them. They quite often get pitched on these sort of sporting challenges when they go away. There was the, There was rowing in Canada and all sorts of other things that they've done. Yeah, it's a bit of an ongoing sort of joke and kind of almost a stunt, really, with the two of them. Wherever we go, there's, you know, often there's some competitive element to the trip, a sporting competition. Um, and they always do a little kind of joke of, uh, you know, oh, I didn't uh, get annoyed at each other over who wins. Actually, last night, Kate, they attended a reception and um, Kate actually said, oh, I let him win. She said this to, I believe it was the prime minister's wife, the Swedish prime minister's wife. Um, I don't think that's true. I have to say I was there. She gave it her all. And unfortunately, she just missed one more than he did. Um, but it, it was it was fun, and it kind of reflects, I think, the fun that they want to have on the visit. They seem very relaxed here, actually, and I would contrast that with the visit to Poland and Germany over the summer, which I was also on. And I felt that they seemed a little bit more tense. I don't know whether it's because they had the children with them and that was making everything a bit more com- complex logistically or that they had a lot more to worry about. Also, particularly in Poland, the security was incredibly visible and very intense and very, I would say, perhaps, you know, quite aggressive, to be honest, the security presence. And I think that maybe made everything seem a bit more tense, whereas the security of Sweden is very discreet, um, has has a much more relaxed feel to it. What they're doing feels a lot more relaxed. The the Swedish people are very relaxed. They're very happy to greet the royals, um, but that they're not Um, overwhelmed or overexcited and I think that's probably got a lot to do with the fact that they have their own royal family here so they're used to dealing with royalty and the Swedish royal family like the Danish royal family is a very low-key very relaxed royal family Um, they often go out and about get involved with things in the community they're very approachable they speak to people a lot and I think that this is making William and Kate actually really enjoy the visit and relax. One thing that's been very interesting to me, actually, is um, when William and Kate arrive at events, usually, they they usually greet the people that they're meeting and then they walk into the event and they don't usually pose outside for photographers. However, it seems to me that it is standard practice in Sweden for the royals to, after they've greeted their hosts, turn around and pose for a photograph outside wherever they're visiting and face the photographers because that's something that they're doing at the beginning of every event and actually it looks a bit like the crown princess victoria who was the heir to the swedish throne is actually encouraging william and kate to turn around and and that's then why the four of them then turn around and pose for a picture um crown princess victoria and her husband daniel are hosting william and kate for the majority of this event um obviously the king and queen um have met them and have had them for lunch but the crown princess and her husband are much closer in age to william and kate and they're kind of taking them around everything and there is definitely a, a difference in style and i mean obviously as a journalist i very much like 
Scandinavian style or the Swedish style of, of turning around and, and posing for photographers. And also we hear from these uh, Swedish journalists that their royals will fairly frequently stop and speak on a subject after they've made a visit somewhere. Uh, and we don't really get that so much from our royals. So, so it's kind of interesting to see the, the difference there in style. And it's interesting as well because the the posed up pictures are um, useful and it's quite a nice to have as a scene setter. But there's been so many nice pictures between William and Kate of those sort of captured moments of them enjoying each other's company and just being a bit more informal and it, that sort of relaxation that you're talking about. I mean, the, the fact that kids aren't there must must have something to do with it, you'd think. But the, they look like they're really enjoying each other's company. I think they are. And they don't actually know this Swedish couple well. They, um, Victoria and Daniel did attend their wedding, but, you know, lots of people attended William and Kate's wedding in 2011. I doubt that they had in-depth conversations with all of them. Um, and they haven't really met beyond that. Uh, obviously, they know about each other, but but I think that they do seem to have kind of connected and, and gelled. And it makes sense, to be honest, because they do seem to be quite similar in their approach. There's nothing formal about the Swedish royal couple. Uh, they seem to be very hands-on parents as well, which obviously is something that William and Kate are very keen on. They've got children a similar age to George and Charlotte. And actually, William and Kate met their their uh, Victoria and Daniel's children today. They went for a tea in Haga Palace, which is where they live, and they had um, crowned uh, a princess Estelle and her little brother Oscar. Estelle is five, and Oscar is almost two, so it's quite a similar age to George and Charlotte. And I think that'd been really nice for William and Kate to meet the children. And yeah, in, in essence, they are just two families trying to live as ordinary a life as possible given the circumstances so they have a lot in common they have some similar interests as well we've been chatting to uh, some people that they met today they were at this event promoting sustainability and environmentally friendly clothing products and innovation in the fashion world and they were saying a lot of the people afterwards were telling us that the Crown Princess and Prince William, who were shown around together, were really enthusiastic about the same things. They were really interested in sustainability. They seem to be having, you know, really good, interesting conversations with each other. So I think it's probably a nice friendship. And William made a speech this evening at an event at an art gallery in Sweden where he said that he really hoped that they could reciprocate and welcome the couple across to the UK. So I'm sure that they will. Um, and and I think you can tell that while, of course, they would always be polite and they want to get on with everyone, there is an extra kind of genuine enjoyment that they're getting out of spending time together. In the first half of uh, of the show, we be, I was obviously talking with Jason about the, the political side of things and the politics of the royal family and that kind of thing. And the the events that they're going to seem seemed to me from this side of this side of the uh, I can't remember what ocean is between us but anyway this side of Europe uh, would be that they're either quite fun informal things with the hockey and then the visiting the children at the school earlier or they're relatively sort of culturally important and significant and maybe with a trade element to them or is that with the sort of the design and architecture things? yeah I mean that you could I think you could always argue that there is that um, element to when they're looking at business or innovation you can always argue that it's an eye on 
trade, on deals, on you know working out how we can navigate all of this when we exit the EU. Um, I mean, I've attended a lot of talks with members of the royal family uh, to non-EU countries, and obviously even before we voted to leave. And they do tend to follow quite a similar format. It's all about getting to see as much as possible, to see things that the host country or city feel are important, because it's all about being able to promote what they want the outside world to see. So obviously, um, the, the, uh, the Swedes know that William and Kate will be attracting attention. So anything that they want to shine a spotlight on, they have an opportunity to do so. And that's what the trips in trip involves as well. There's always a liaison between the British embassy and between um, Swedish, Swedish officials. And in this case, it would be obviously at the palace and also at the um with the um, prime minister's office um, and they would work together to try and work out what the best, what had to showcase the best of Sweden and also to promote the links between the countries, which is why we had this event today, which was a British, British designers who are kind of breaking through in Sweden. Um, some of it can feel a little bit staged sometimes. Like, you know, I was, at this exhibition today and it was in a shopping center a big shopping center in stockholm called nk would be obviously like our equivalent of john lewis or debenhams or whatever um and i was talking to these designers who had exhibited in the foyer of the shopping center and i said well, are you selling your products in here and and none all of the people i asked said well no no we're just here for this event so you do get that sometimes quite set up feeling where they've kind of brought lots of people together in a place that they actually wouldn't normally be working on a daily basis. Um, but it's all about building those relationships, really. And that's kind of what the function that the royals have, because they're always trying so hard not to be seen to be political. They're supposed to be politically neutral, but is that ever really completely possible? I don't know. But that, that's what they very much want to be seen as being. And they're there to shine a light on things and to help to promote causes, but without without kind of getting too opinionated about the, the politics or the mechanisms of how things might actually be changed. So one thing we're probably not going to talk about today which we normally would do is the fashion because there's been a, a huge number of outfits that Kate has already worn and I think with so many more to come in Norway as well we're going to leave that for you to discuss with um, Danielle or Amber next week when you're okay. back um, but I just wanted to check what was your what's been your highlight so far of, um, of, the of, of, of well of Sweden what's been your Swedish highlight? Ooh, um, I would say Probably um, the first event, because the hockey, I think, was just so symbolic of when we think of Sweden, we think of winter sports, we think of ice, we think of snow, and you kind of got all of that. And also, I just always think the first events are always exciting because it's the first time we've seen them. It always makes a lot more of an impact. Uh, without talking too much about the fashion, she has worn two quite interesting dresses, Um I wouldn't say they were necessarily a highlight in my book of her fashion calendar. Um, she's worn two Erdem dresses, uh, one last night and then one tonight. Um, they have been compared to curtains online by several people. Um, um, the fabric is, is quite curtain-like on both of them. Um, and 
they are, I think, probably dresses that are probably liked by fashion people um, a lot more than perhaps regular people like me. I'd be interested to hear what Amber or Danielle has to say about those dresses because I think they probably know a lot more about the fashion world and I think they probably appreciate them perhaps a lot more than I would. I was going to say exactly the same thing. I'm, I'm totally with you. I thought last night's looked like the so the gold Erdem dress, the long one with the high neck, it looked like something that would always end up left over on the sale rail in maybe warehouse or one of the uh, one of the high street stores. <laughs> was, I think it cost £2,000. Well, but I know, <laughs> but then what do I know about fashion? So I'm getting I'm getting my say on it in this week because I'm not actually going to be here to to join you next week as you know so for our listeners you will have a new host next week for one week only although she may come back again in future if they let me have another holiday sometime so Lucy Clark Billings will be joining Victoria next week um, and we're saving up a bumper crop of listener questions for her as well so we're not going to do listener questions this week we'll wait until Victoria is back in the room but if you want to get any in between now and then email pods save the queen at trinitymirror.com and um, do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already we do really appreciate everybody who sent us such nice messages on twitter and the people who've left us reviews and ratings on itunes that's been brilliant so if if you fancy doing one if you've been thinking you might do one but haven't quite got around to it yet then make today the day that would be amazing but we love having you with us and we love hearing from you so it's been a lot of fun so far But um, every week we do also talk about Meghan and Harry because we're building up to that royal wedding. And um, as well as William and Kate heading on to Norway tomorrow, we will see Meghan and Harry out and about. They will be at the Endeavour Fund Awards, which will be Meghan's first appearance in sort of a glam event since she got yeah. engaged. I think you were you were requesting that last week on well, the last I episode, did, weren't you? Did it. I did. I said I'd love to see her in something more glamorous because we've seen very kind of, you know, everyday, quite fairly, you know, bland really outfits. Um I, I'm not getting my hopes up too much, I have to say. This is a reception, but I think it, I think oh, it's not sort of a black tie event. I think it's gonna be um evening wear but quite relaxed evening wear I would be surprised if she was in a sort of full length kind of gown type thing I think it'd be much more likely to be some kind of cocktail dress or more like a a work dress um maybe maybe not a work dress but you know and maybe knee length or just something a bit more relaxed um I'm really hoping it's not it's not black or grey or beige, but mm. but we'll see. Um, I mean, this this reception is um, for the Endeavour Fund, which Prince Harry and William and Kate actually support through their Royal Foundation, and it gives grants to people who want to do challenges. Often, people who have been in the military or people who have been injured in the military, and they want to go off and do a challenge. Um, they've sponsored rowing challenges. They sponsored trips to um, climb well, attempts to climb Everest. Um, Walking with the wounded is something that they work a lot with as well. So it's very much um, something that's very close to Harry's heart. And I think he'll be really keen to introduce Meghan to it. It's actually run from inside Kensington Palace. Um, So it's certainly something that is very important to Harry. So I think think it'll be good. I mean, you know, I'm not sure how much we're looking William and Kate are going to get tomorrow because they're competing with the new couple on the block. And I think the coverage is probably going to um, 
be focused on what's going on in London tomorrow evening, certainly. Oh, well, lots lots for you to talk about with, with Lucy next week then, for sure. Um, I also just wanted to have a quick gallop through some of the uh, the new wedding rumours that are round and about. A few, a few things that are possibly slightly more solid than others. Um, so there was a report in the Sunday Times on Sunday, obviously a very respected broadsheet newspaper, um, that suggested that Meghan will speak at the reception. Um, it was partly suggesting that because her dad is relatively private, and again, we've spoken before about Meghan's family and will her dad walk her down the aisle and how that whole family relationship will work. But there's a suggestion that maybe he might not feel comfortable to speak at the reception, but maybe Meghan would would speak anyway. Um, what, what do you reckon the chances are of that happening, Vic? I think it's a pretty a pretty good shout, to be honest. I would be quite surprised if she didn't speak. A lot of modern brides choose to speak at their wedding. Megan is a modern woman. She is a woman who is very accomplished at public speaking. She knows her own mind. She's in her mid-30s. I, I think she will be very keen to speak. And I, I think that's something that we'll see. She's also a feminist. And the traditional idea that only men speak at weddings, I think, really is becoming incre- incredibly outdated now. And uh, I think the more people that come away from that tradition personally, I think the better. And I, I think I think, I think think it's very likely to happen. I think she's very likely to say something. Given how you all know that I like to chat, it probably won't surprise you to know that I did do a speech at my wedding reception. It was great Brilliant. fun. I, if I'm you're really debating, to hear that. If you're debating doing it, I would recommend it because you only get one chance. And um, realistically... And you know, that's really funny because I have so many female friends who had their weddings several years ago and have since said that they wish they had spoken. And that if, and interestingly, a lot of them who got married in their 20s said that had they got married later, that they would have spoken and that they now realise that, that that they would have, that they that they wish they had. And I wonder, you know, Megan obviously is, is a slightly older bride. Um, and I think that's another reason why I think we, we can expect to see this. So that'll be exciting to see. Um, another favourite one that I read, suggesting that she's a big fan of French fries and would like there to be chips at the wedding. I mean, no idea. I mean, no idea. But and, there's, there's an argument. And it for... sounds like the kind of thing that we were never really going to be able to find out where their chips, where they're not chips. I mean, you know, maybe for the evening too. Yeah, ev- uh, evening do. My money's on that because why wouldn't you have chips at your evening do when you're hitting the dance floor hard, as I'm sure they will. Harry having a hair transplant after the wedding. That is my favourite. Um, totally bizarre story of the week. I, I, I mean, the, the guy is not thrilled about the fact that his hair is thinning. Let's be honest about that. But I, like William, I'd be very surprised if he did anything about it in terms of hair transplant. I just, I just cannot see it. I cannot see it. And if he was going to do it, I just, why would he do it after the wedding? I suppose you'd do it before, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, no, I just, no, I don't think so. Harry, if you're listening, don't do it. You don't need to. It's fine. Just exactly, yeah. Uh, finally, we're actually going to sort of finish on politics as we as we started. Um, Donald Trump, in his interview in Davos, said that he wasn't aware of having an invitation to the royal wedding. We've obviously talked before that um, there would be no reason necessarily that he 
would get one, um, but it's become a bit of a diplomatic situation and do the Obamas get invited and so on. Anyway, so far he hasn't had an invitation, but neither has Mike Tyndall and Zara Phillips so far. So I'm taking (laughs) from that that the invitations haven't yet gone out because Zara is Harry's cousin. You know, she's surely going to be invited to the wedding. I would expect to see them the invitations go up maybe late February, mid to late February, I think is the most likely time. Based on precedent with what happened with William and Kate and just because that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and realistically, if you're in, in with a chance of maybe even a sniff of getting invited to the wedding, you're going to keep that date free. And if suddenly that invitation lands on the doormat, maybe because they've heard how amazing the Pod Save the Queen podcast is and they want me to come along, you're going to have to be busy working. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, in fact, I've just remembered I'm going to have to be busy I'll working. I'll be standing as well. outside. Don't worry. I'll wave to you as you go in. <laughs> anyway, I would clear the decks if I got an invitation. So I don't think they need to worry too much about telling people to save the date. Anyway, right. I'd better let you go get on with starting to discover Norway so that you can tell us all about it next week thank um, you so have a safe trip I hope the flight home is um, slightly pleasant less bumpy I do as well have fun and uh, until next time pod save the queen 